0: looking at populations that have been missed by the campaign why is that is it is it because they physically weren't there because they were they had migrated out they were working on the harvest somewhere else or is it because there's something about the delivery of those interventions that is not acceptable or not convenient or maybe they just need more information they have some fear so we can work across health programs to align some of these agendas and reach people with more services.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Last Mile podcast. The following conversation will be facilitated by Nikhil Patil, a senior project support specialist with the MektaZen Donation Program, a program at the Task Force for Global Health. Enjoy. Hello, good morning to everyone tuning in to this episode. I am delighted to talk today about health campaign integration and how we can use an implementation research framework to evaluate ways to improve the effectiveness of health campaigns. In the previous episode of this podcast, The Last Mile, Dr. Allison Crentel spoke with Dr. Margaret Yapong and Dr. Olomide Ogundahunsi about implementation research, how to define it, how it differs from implementation science, and how different social and behavioral research methodologies can be used within implementation research. With today's episode, we hope to expand on that discussion by looking at real world applications of implementation research within the context of a health program that many listeners are aware of, the health campaign. But before we dive into our topic of discussion, I would like to first introduce my guests today, starting with Eva. Dr. Eva Bazant is currently the Senior Associate Director for Implementation Research at the Health Campaign Effectiveness Coalition, a program that sits within the Task Force for Global Health in Decatur, Georgia. In her role, Dr. Bazat is implementing a learning and research agenda on campaign effectiveness with a focus on campaign integration and transition to the primary healthcare system in the areas of NTDs, vitamin A supplementation, malaria, and immunizations. She has an MPH from Columbia University and a DRPH from Johns Hopkins University. Welcome, Eva. Next, we have Mariana Sarmiento, an anthropologist and research assistant with the University of the Andes in Bogota, Colombia. The University of the Andes is one of the institutions that received funding from the Health Campaign Effectiveness Program in 2021 to investigate ways to reduce the prevalence of trachoma and geohelments among indigenous communities in the Valpez Department, an area in the Amazon region of Colombia. More broadly, Mariana is applying her background in anthropology to examine NTDs and sexual and reproductive health among indigenous communities and migrant Venezuelan women. Before we begin, I did want to mention in full transparency that prior to starting my current role with the Mecazan Donation Program, I briefly worked for the Health Campaign Effectiveness Program including helping oversee the sub-award with the University of the Andes. So this is all coming full circle for me to be able to interview y'all today, which I'm very excited to catch up a bit, as it's been about a year since I was last with the HCE program. So to kick things off, we would like to ease our way into the iCords podcast. We want to understand how you got into the field of global health. This might be of interest to students and young professionals who are just starting their work in global health. So why don't we start with Eva?
0: Great, and so nice to be with you here today, Nikhil, and thanks so much for inviting us to, uh, to speak at the Last Mile podcast. Really glad to be here. I had some experiences related to work in NTDs when I was a teenager, and I spent a few months in Ecuador living in a remote Andean community, Quechua speaking community, and they were willing to host some adolescents from abroad. We were facilitating a community sanitation and health education program in conjunction with the Ministry of Health. And this group, aptly called Amigos de las Americas, was one that I also later went on to become a youth leader in some other Latin American countries with, on these summer programs. So it really opened up my eyes to the life of people in these rural communities and how the conditions of their lives affect their health. And so that led to other interests in public health. Wow,
1: I actually did not know that about you. So that's actually very, very cool. That given that Mariana is our other guest on this on this podcast episode, how it also is a little bit of a full circle for you as well. So great. The same question to you, Mariana. How did you come to work in the field of global health?
2: Okay, so well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a it's a real pleasure. And well, uh, I'm an I'm I'm an anthropologist, and towards the end of my undergraduate program, and went on a field trip. With some classmates to Wainia, which is a department. And when I talk about department, I mean like that's a political division here in Colombia, so it's like a state. So I went to Wainia, which is a department in the Amazon region of Colombia. And I work with indigenous communities on a planification document that's called a life plan. And this is a document indigenous communities have to present to the interior ministry in order to show what do they want for themselves, like health wise, food-wise, all that this stuff. And doing that, I fell in love with food security and food sovereignty, and I did make thesis about public policies related to food security within indigenous territories, and during that, I met my actual boss, who ever knows, it's Joana Campo, <laughs> who is one of the most important professionals in public health here in Colombia, and she took me to Vaupes, which is another department in the Amazon region of the country, and there, there I fell in love with the jungle and fell in love with public health. <laughs> And I started to see new topics. Among them, there was global and public health, but especially rural territories. I think that for me, knowing public health and getting to global health was always like linked to rural territories here in Colombia.
1: Great. Well, thank you both for those illuminating stories. And I think that serves as a great transition into today's main topic of discussion, which is health campaign in- integration and using an implementation research framework to evaluate strategies to improve the effectiveness of health campaigns. So Eva, I'm using the term health campaign, but I, I believe our NTD colleagues are probably more familiar with the term mass drug administration, which I would consider sort of a specific type of health campaign specific to the NTD space. Um, but what, can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what exactly is a health campaign and why your program, the Health Campaign Effectiveness Coalition, is focusing on campaign integration as a strategy for improving the effectiveness of health service delivery
0: yeah yeah that's that's a great question i'll, I'll try to answer it in a, a few different parts so hope you can bear with me as we get to the the crux of the matter so first i just want to mention what is health campaign effectiveness coalition in 2020 we started this coalition with support of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation here at the Task Force for Global Health. And it's really a novel cross-program coalition that fosters learning and systems change related to health campaigns. And we bring together leaders in countries, donors, multilateral organizations, and NGOs, and specialists. And we're focusing on campaigns in immunizations, including polio, vitamin A supplementation, malaria, and of course, NTDs. And we've reached approximately of almost a thousand people across 300 organizations in 70 countries to date. And what I specifically do is oversee a research program that is looking at the testing and replication of evidence-based campaign practices. Now, the vision of the coalition is that country-led health systems use a strategic balance of targeted health campaigns in concert with routine or regular health services. To achieve and sustain health development goals for all people. So, what is a campaign? Well, we had a design team of various experts in our first year, including country representatives, try to define this very thing, looking across these very different types of programs. And the definition we landed on for now is that health campaigns are time bound, intermittent activities deployed to address specific epidemiological challenges expediently fill delivery gaps, or provide surge coverage for health interventions. And we actually have a technical brief on on what defining health campaigns and also campaign integration on our website, which we can refer to later. But now getting to campaign integration, first I'll define it, then I'll say sort of why it's become important. We do see campaign integration or integrated campaigns as, as a spectrum And it's certainly not just one thing or another, but it it can be defined in different ways. And, but we found it useful as a starting point to think of it in terms of partial integration and full integration. So partial integration is essentially collaboration. So it's when two or more health programs that have two or more interventions, you know, they'll be collaborating in some way in some of the components or functions of campaigns. And that is in order to improve efficiency, or effectiveness, reach the people they wanna reach. But in that instance, they do not co-deliver interventions at the same point of service or at the same time. Now, full integration is that collaboration in typical campaign components. So it could be like micro planning, household registration, the logistics and supply procurement and other components. So there's that coordination or collaboration among campaigns, but also including the co-delivery or simultaneous delivery of two or more interventions at the point of service. And so that could be you know, a two different drugs or vitamin A or a bed net or you know, two things that they're, they're delivering at the same point in time. So why, why should we even talk about health campaign integration? Well, health campaigns have historically been organized in disease-specific programs, and for good reasons. And these all sometimes are called vertical programs and they're also funded, planned, and implemented often quite independently from one another and even from routinely offered services. Although in some places in in the last mile, and, and Mariana will talk about this, there may not really be routine services, but in settings where multiple campaigns occur, the planning and implementation of these campaigns are carried out often with little communication and collaboration. And there's a belief that this may be resulting in strategic or operational inefficiencies and inequities that constrain health systems and burden healthcare workers and really limit the impact that the campaigns want to have. And so as the vertical campaigns have proliferated, there's been increasing recognition that collaborative or integrated approaches to campaign planning and or implementation could really improve their effectiveness, efficiency, equity. Especially when it makes it makes sense if those, the target populations that are being looked at for the different interventions are the same in terms of the age groups or the same geographies. And I will mention that the global health agencies, for example, the World Health Organization, the Global Polio Eradication Initiative, the UNICEF, and GAVI, the Vaccine Alliance, have all put out strategy and guidance documents that have underscored the need for shifting away from vertical-only approaches and to more collaborative cross-program approaches that can promote synergies. So that's, in a nutshell, what it is.
1: Great. No, uh, and I really appreciate you sort of really talking about the intricacies of health campaigns and sort of why studying health campaigns are important. I have worked on health campaigns from a planning perspective and evaluating perspective before, but I haven't really, I had never really thought in such detail about sort of how campaigns are different and sort of what campaigns look like at such a micro level until I came to the Health Campaign Effectiveness Program. So I think it's really fascinating work and I'm very excited to see sort of all of the results from the program. Just one thing that I wanted to quickly follow up, given that this is a podcast um, primarily targeted towards the NTD community, I'm sure you're aware of the 2030 NTD roadmap that was released. I'm curious if campaign integration is mentioned in the roadmap and and how you see campaign integration supporting the the 2030 NTD roadmap.
0: Yes, the WHO NTD roadmap 2021-2030 does emphasize the need for cross-cutting approaches, including integrating across NTD programs within national health systems and among stakeholders while strengthening health systems. And as we find ourselves in this COVID-19, pandemic context, opportunities are increasing for collaboration across NTD programs and in the context of universal health coverage as well. And I'll just point out that in the roadmap, there's a lot of great figures and diagrams. And one I like is talking about the considerations for when NTD programs should consider integrated approaches. And there's really four factors that that they highlight. And one is when the spread of the disease burden is low, and it's kind of spread across several NTDs, that's maybe an indication for integration. When the progress towards elimination of that disease is very far from elimination, that might be a factor. When the treatment is simple and field-ready, and also when there's little local adaptation required, those are factors that may indicate to NTD programs that they want to consider integrated approaches. And that's juxtaposed with you know, other other elements such as being very close to eliminating a disease and and other aspects. So yeah, the roadmap really does address it quite a bit. So I think it's up to all of us to figure out how to operationalize that, so.
1: Okay. Great. So as, as we mentioned earlier, the term health campaign is slightly more broad that is used across programs, both within the NTD space, but also outside the NTD space. And I think there's definitely a lot that we can learn from other health sectors that are also implementing the health campaign model. So this is why one of the reasons I'm very excited to have Mariana participate in this discussion today, given your background as an anthropologist and your previous experience outside the NTD space, studying sexual and reproductive health and food insecurity. From your perspective, what can NTD social and behavioral scientists and researchers learn from non-NTD programs? And perhaps if you can give some examples of how this relates to understanding drivers of health campaign effectiveness.
2: Okay, perfect. So, well, I was actually talking about this with a coworker last week. And well, based on my experience here in Colombia, one of the things that we as researchers must learn from non-entity health campaigns is the structured and organized way in which they trace the implementing campaign. And I'm talking about this because, for example, in my work with sexual and reproductive health, the tracing and the organization, the, yeah, the organization of the information we were collecting is very good versus NTD's health campaigns. And I'm going to explain why, why I think this. And here in Colombia, treating NTDs usually take place in rural areas that are very difficult or expensive to access and everyone knows about this. <laughs> and this makes that health campaigns lack good tracing. So nowadays the use of new technologies is fundamental in order to have good information about the people you're working with. and in the places and in places like Colombia, creating smart and new ways of tracing information and connecting with people far away is crucial on attempting to have as good data as non-entity hot campaigns have. If we have good data and ways of communicating in order to know the process that is having the campaign in the community, we can take so much advantage of the information and make even better plans and improvements on the work we're currently doing. So I mentioned this because for example, in the reunions we have in which we share our information, and I'm talking about NTD health health campaigns, in which we share information with different kinds of health campaigns, non-NTD health campaigns, I feel we're a little short on tracing information and we really need innovation in these areas. So that NTD health campaigns can achieve goals like the 2030 NTD's roadmap, like uh, Eva was talking about. We need to do this without data and long and deep process of analysis. We are not getting to our full potential. The lack of ways of communicating and making constant visits to the workplace should trigger our creativity and count. And we, we need to count with people in our team that brings original and out of box ways of connecting with people that are far away in the jungle, in rural areas on mountains or in wherever they are, but we need to be more innovative. And I think that this is one thing we need to learn from non-NTD health campaigns.
1: Great. And and I find Colombia to be a very interesting sort of case study when it comes to not just not just health campaigns, but also NTDs. I mean when we think about NTDs and health campaigns, I think our first image is often a rural community in sub-Saharan Africa or in South or in Southeast Asia. But I think the challenges that Colombia is facing when it comes to sort of that really at the last mile of of service delivery, I think this is where programs in sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia and the Pacific are going to eventually be. So I think it's really important that we try and get some lessons from countries that are almost there because other countries will hopefully also be there soon. And I think it's going to be important to have some new approaches when when we get to that point. And reaching the 2030 roadmap goals, so. Well, so I want to shift a little bit because we've talked a bit about health campaigns and health campaign integration, but at the other part of our conversation is really about understanding the effectiveness of health campaigns or how to make them more effective. And I think this idea of using implementation research is a really interesting framework for being able to study health campaigns and health campaign integration. So. Eva, in the previous episode, Dr. Gyapong provided a definition of implementation research, but I'm curious to hear how you would define the term implementation research, particularly in the context of your work.
0: Yeah, and we agree with the definition that Dr. Gyapong put forth. It's the WHO Special Program for Research and Training in Tropical Diseases. They have a really great toolkit online for implementation research. And they define implementation research as a systematic approach to recognizing, understanding, and addressing the barriers to quality and effective health intervention implementation in the health system and identifying optimal implementation options for a given setting and promoting the uptake of research findings into policy and practice. And it's noted that IR is very demand-driven that their research questions are framed according to the needs and by the relevant stakeholders in the countries and at the global level and at the community level also, and that the health intervention managers are the ones that also really need to be very involved throughout the whole process. And at HCE, we take a great interest in how the research teams that we're supporting will facilitate the application and use of the research findings with their stakeholders in countries at the national and subnational community level and then also at the global level. So we do ask about which stakeholders are involved early on and how the findings are being shared with them as they're being produced and so that they can co-produce recommendations.
1: Great. So I think in in public health and global health, we often have sort of our own language for how how we define things. And I think so being able to have a definition for implementation research for our audience is really important. But something that I'm curious about is that I've also heard the term operational research, and I was wondering if you could sort of perhaps provide an explanation of how do you think about operational research? Do you think of it as the same thing as implementation research, or do you think of it as something different?
0: Yeah, yeah. So there, as also your previous speakers on this program and recognized and. I will also um, emphasize that there are many, many definitions of operations, research and implementation research. Certainly OR has been used for, I think, longer for decades in the business or in the world and industries. And I think that what I read most recently, and there was a nice article in the bulletin of the world health organization in 2016 by Hale and colleagues that operations research is typically very specific to a single program or activity. And that's how I see it, that it might be, if you want to laser focus on the operations of some aspect of the health system and, and find out what's working and not working, that that would be perhaps what I would associate with operations research. And when I read about implementation research, it's really about the contextual factors and the factors of the system that's sort of around the operations, as well as the operations itself. So the emphasis is a little bit more on, it's a little broader and so that's why we chose to use IR.
1: Okay, great. And then, well, f- from your perspective, w- why was an implementation research the appropriate framework for answering the coalition's research agenda on campaign integration?
0: Well, yeah, it, it goes just go, I just go back to the definition that we're really interested in understanding the facilitators and barriers to integrated campaigns. What's not allowing them to happen or what's allowing them to happen? And then how does it happen? We're really interested in the process, the support structures or lack thereof, the financing, the different permutations. And then what are the outcomes? What are, and going beyond coverage of an intervention, what are other outcomes? And in IR, there's also an emphasis on three types of outcomes that are mentioned in the TDR toolkit client outcomes, service outcomes, and implementation outcomes. So, client outcome could be you know client satisfaction or what the person received service outcome would be more the dimensions of efficiency safety effectiveness timeliness equity and then other implementation outcomes can also be uh, acceptability ad, 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 adoption appropriateness cost feasibility fidelity and sustainability so lots you know lots of terms that would then need to be unpacked and defined but it's implementation is really a broad umbrella for this type of research that we think will really help us understand how campaigns can be more effective.
1: Excellent. So g- given that we are talking about implementation research within the context of health campaigns and campaign integration, as I mentioned earlier, Mariana, you're involved in a case study research project at the University of the Andes that is partly funded by the HCE program. The project is focused specifically on the planning phase of health campaigns and opportunities for integration to increase campaign effectiveness. Given your work, I'm curious if there are any lessons from the case study on campaign planning and in particular, how can these lessons be used by campaign managers to support more effective
2: campaign planning? Well, yeah, there is. (laughs) Well, for answering this question, I think it's important to contextualize the audience and where I work. So I'm part of the Sajid group of Universidad de los Andes here in Bogotá, Colombia, and since 2017, more or less, we have been working in Vaupés. Vaupés is a department, as I was saying, a department like state, located in the Amazon region of Colombia on the south, and only accessible by plane. In Vaupés, we work in a place called Caño Cubillo. It's uh, 10 hours away from Mitu. That's the capital of the department by boat, so it's pretty far, which is made up by four indigenous communities. Uh, so, there we have been working with NTD since the beginning of since the beginning of the project. And one of the most important things that I have learned is the difficulties and strategies we as researchers have to learn to work in interculturality frameworks. And I'm going to explain shortly what I mean by interculturality and this is an scenario and an opportunity of establishing dialogues between cultures and exchange knowledge on equal terms. Interculturality does not simply describe a place where different cultures coexist. It's recognizing the challenges that working in, th- in contexts where people think, live, and act different brings to the table. So it's actually recognizing the power relations and the conflicts that those relations can create and produce among a community and the relationship between each stakeholder. So I, I hope this can like make something clear. Yeah. So considering this, working on places where people, the territory and life itself work different than the place I come from, it's a challenge, especially working with health related issues because the body itself, sickness and wellness are managed way different. And many of the problems we have and we see in the communities are treated in a different way or maybe they're not even a problem for them. So establishing a project means having a lot of conversations where meanings are shared, the project is explained, and our intention as a university is on the table. We have to be very clear and we have to create really good relationships with people. Indigenous communities, and the Colombian ones in this case, have been underpowered relations where white people, as they call Western people, tend to make decisions over their life over their health, over their food, over their houses, among other things. And even if these interventions are good or bad, people tend to just go with it because it's the only governmental attention they're getting. And if they suggest that things are done any other way, they won't be heard. So when working with them, people just say yes to everything because that's just the way things are. Institutions tend not to care about their opinion. And interventions and projects are thought on offices far away from the actual territory. Many public policies are thought here in Bogota. And then they're like translated to focus. And well, that doesn't make sense. So on our work, we don't want this uh, to happen. And with this, we must find local stakeholders that can connect with the project and be active leaders on it. For this, uh, there has been a long way because for people to believe that this case might be different. And that though and that what we want it to work, there needs to be confidence. And for this to happen, you need people to hear you, see you, and get to know you for a long time. The kind of relationships we have with the communitarian leaders in Valpes is a work of years that has its pros and its cons. And on the con side, we can find that not everybody can engage on such long relationships with local leaders because they just have six or twelve months to do an implementation process in We actually talked about uh, this with Evan and other people in a a conversatory we had. And part of our work as as a CG group, the the group I work in, is to create a toolbox uh, that helps researchers on how to make good and respectful approaches with the community in order to have some confidence with them and can create conversations with the people that wouldn't reach the project. Uh, Other downside is that... uh, well. Going constantly and visiting the communities can also be expensive for the institution giving the money for the project. So that's like a big downside actually. But on the pro side, we can find a strong relations that can give wonderful and new results. And by new, I mean, having projects that open space to new ways of doing health campaigns in interculturality frameworks, projects that can fit uh, the different views of people on health, sickness, their body and so many things that we have that we have had the opportunity to talk with people in focus. Understanding the complexity of interculturality is also a window of opportunity for new researchers and new research paths on health campaigns. We must acknowledge other voices, the power relations we held with other stakeholders and the possibilities we have in front of us on making projects where we can fit and talk in new languages that include otherness.
1: Wow, that, that's really interesting that this term interculturality is not one that I've come across before, but it definitely reminds me of some conversations that we are having in global health around the decolonization of global health and really sort of addressing power structures within the context of health health systems. And I think being able to draw that connection between power dynamics and then the way that health campaigns are planned and implemented, I think, is a really interesting approach that I haven't really seen anyone explore before. So definitely very exciting work. And I look forward to hearing more of the results from 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 your work in in Colombia. The grant that you received was specifically to address some questions around campaign planning, but the HCE program has also provided sub-awards to look at the other sort of components, the other phases of of health campaigns. And hopefully we will start to see some of those results from those awards over the coming months. So, great. Well, before we move into the next segment, I did wanna mention that if you are interested in learning more, we will provide links to several of the resources identified by Even Mariana on health campaign integration and implementation research for evaluating health campaign effectiveness in the podcast show notes. What we would like to do in this next part of the podcast, which we call the lightning round, is to ask you both some questions that are meant to be fun and informative to our audience. So please try to answer these questions without thinking too much and try to keep your answers brief. So this first one is for Eva. What is one piece of advice you have for the next generation of global health researchers and advocates?
0: Follow your passion, ask questions and keep asking questions of others, but also continually ask yourself You know, what future state would you really like to envision and then contribute your time towards? Pick up a diverse set of skills on the way, on your journey, and hone those skills. But perhaps more importantly, cultivate relationships with mentors and mentees, partners and colleagues, and that will really open up opportunities.
1: Excellent. I absolutely agree. And that piece of advice resonates with me very much so. The same question for you, Mariana. What is one piece of advice you have for the next generation of global health researchers and advocates?
2: I would say to include new voices in their research work. And by this, I mean to have real conversations with people we are working with. For me, in in, in informal conversations, in the coffee you share with the people that you're working with, there is real information. There is where you understand the social life of a disease and get to know how people think it works if, the, if they have their own way of treating it and what is the opinion on the campaign we as researchers are implementing. If we really want to have sustainable plans and good results, we must listen to new voices and take the long way into having the quality information and quality results that make people healthy and happy.
1: Excellent. I find it really interesting that both of you sort of mentioned this idea of relationship building in in global health. And I don't think we necessarily talk about this idea that much within our, within our field. I think we often try to focus on sort of the science and the numbers, but I think at the end of the day, while we might have the most effective program, if we want to actually implement these things, these programs well, and see the type of impact that we hope to see, I think really having a focus on relationship building with the people that we are working with. I think is definitely very crucial. So yeah, I I absolutely, absolutely agree. Um, So this next question is about myths you'd like to dispel in the community. Now, when I say the community, this could be specific to your work in the NTD space or about health campaigns, or it could be more general about a myth from global health. So Eva, why don't we start with you?
0: Yeah, well, public health and in, in public health and in health professions, we have many specializations and specialists and and those are absolutely needed especially to eradicate diseases it does result in silos and sort of a lack of knowing what else is happening in the you know in the communities those same communities that that have multiple health needs and so partnerships i think we agree partnerships you know can be useful they're critical But a myth is that perhaps we only need to rely on the usual or familiar partnerships or working within our comfort zones. And working across NTDs definitely, you know, I think is very important. We shouldn't be limited though. I think we may need to reach out to unfamiliar actors or to create novel or non-traditional or even cross-sectoral partnerships to address the health issues. And it may also depend on the context or the setting. So I think that we should be open to building new types of partnerships and also sustaining them.
1: Great. And Mariana, what about you? Is there a myth that you would like to dispel?
2: I would like to dispel that uh, in the community it would be that for working health related topics, you have to be a doctor or a nurse or some profession related to those two. And I'm saying this because a bunch of my workmates think that is and. I work with artists, designers, economists, biologists, and we all have found work that does not necessarily depend on me knowing, for example, how trichoma is transmitted. And I think we can each do what we know how to do and, and work as a team. And regarding the disease-related knowledge, you will get it on the way. I mean, we learned from each other in in this topic, for example, when I went to Valpes and I had nothing, I, ha- I had no idea on... What dracoma was and all the diseases we're we're working with, I was like in a "fake it till you make it" kind of a stage where <laughs> I just like learn on the way of working in, and I also teach my my doctor mates and my nurse mates what I know. So it's a very nice like space where you can learn from each other, and you don't have to like like be on a health career to to be part of this teams.
1: Great. I mean, I, I absolutely agree, and I think that's probably one of my favorite parts of working in global public health. is It's such an interdisciplinary field, and you can find yourself working alongside an engineer, an economist, an artist, an anthropologist. Uh, I think there are ways that no matter what your skill set, whatever skill set you have, you are able to bring it to the field and find a way to use it to help improve health around the world. So we call this podcast The Last Mile because we are all working in support of the WHO NTD 2030 Roadmap Goals, as, as I mentioned earlier. Given your work and what you've learned since joining the NTD community, in your opinion, what is one thing we, as a community, the community of all of us working towards the elimination and control of NTDs, what is one thing that we should be doing differently to help us reach our goals? So Eva, let's start with you.
0: Sure. Well, one thing we can do as a global health community is to find those commonalities in in different organizational agendas that will allow us to reach people in communities that are considered last mile with information and services that are acceptable to them and also convenient to them. And so one thing we've been trying to work on in the last year is thinking about this phenomenon or this topic in NTDs of the never-treated people who may not have received their NTD medicines or who were away, you know, during the time of the MDA or who then or who were hesitant or had fear or or did not want to take the medicines, you know, that can be aligned, I believe, with the agenda of zero dose in immunization. So GAVI, the Global Vaccine Alliance, has really had a push in finding folks who have not received even the most basic vaccines. I think the def- definition of zero dose is not having received DPT1. And so looking at populations that have been missed by the campaign, why is that? Is it is it because they physically weren't there because they, were, they had migrated out, they were working on the harvest somewhere else? Or is it because there's something about the delivery of those interventions that is not acceptable or not convenient? Or maybe they just need more information, they have some fear. So we can work Across health programs to align some of these agendas and reach people with more services.
1: Great. And Mariana, what about you? What advice do you have for the community?
2: Well, uh, I would say learning to work in interdisciplinary teams, like you were saying, it's not easy as it may look. (laughs) Learning to have negotiations of things that I would do different than somebody on the team and learning new things while we're why we are all working towards the same objective is one of the biggest lessons I've learned and actually this has brought me a lot of knowledge and abilities that are now part of my way of working and it's thanks to interdisciplinary and the second thing in short that I would say is that when you work on the field and when you have to have contact with communities, either farmer or indigenous, whatever, you need to be able to understand that what they say has, it's the truth for them and learning to have like a gentle and, uh, like constructing spaces where their voice is, is well received in that you can accept their knowledge as truth. And as part of what you're working with is very, very important. Not just because like a good result, cause you're going to have a good result if you do this, but also because. People know when you're respecting them and people know when you take them seriously. And with people that have been like historically neglected by government and by a bunch of institutions to have good relations with them and show them respect and show them that their knowledge about their disease, even though it's different from mine, it's valid. It's very, very good. I think that that would be a very important piece of advice.
1: Great. Thank you. That is some very astute advice. And I hope our audience embraces what you said moving forward. So Eva and Mariana, I I want to sincerely thank you for participating in this podcast interview and spending some time with me to have a great discussion on health campaigns and campaign integration. Before we end the episode, do you have any last words, take-home messages, or things you want to plug to our audience? Eva?
0: Sure. I think this goes along with what we've been talking about and hearing from Mariana. I recently came across a quote you know, attributed to Helen Keller, that it's better to be blind and to see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. So I think we can look at sus- building and sustaining partnerships with a new heart to achieve a better health campaign quality for, especially for populations that have been missed by MDA and other campaigns.
1: Wow. That's a, that's a really beautiful quote. I'm going to have to write that one down and save it. So, and then, and then you, Mariana?
2: I would say that on this job and in my time working for this project, I've learned that there are many people besides my professors and my colleagues from who I can learn. And as I was saying before, uh, we need to always be open to find knowledge and not so common places and people. And other and last thing, and another last thing I would say is that. Creativity is always going to take you to the next level. Thinking out of the box and creating new things throughout knowing people and places who think and live different is always going to make you grow professionally and personally.
1: Great. Well, I have really enjoyed our time together. So again, a big thank you to you both for joining me today and also for the important work that you're doing to eliminate and control neglected tropical diseases in your respective areas. I really hope our listeners take advantage of the resources mentioned in this episode which again, we've included links to these resources in the podcast show notes. So, great. Have an enjoyable rest of your day, thank you.
0: Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to The Last Mile podcast. If you wanna learn more, check out the various resources in our description section. If you would like to learn more about iCords Community of Practice, please check out our website at www.icords.org and give us a follow on Twitter at iCords underscore COP. See you on the next episode.